Hello and welcome to What Editors Want, the podcast where I, Philip Connor, interview a different editor each week. This week, my guest is Mark Richards, formerly of Fourth Estate and now publisher at John Murray. John Murray are the legendary publishers of people like Jane Austen and Charles Darwin. Mark and I met to discuss publishing literary fiction, books like The Frank Business by Olivia Glazebrook, and my favourite novel of 2018, Jesse Greengrass's Sight. Mark has also published some non-fiction, and we'll be speaking about his work with the Nick Drake estate. We'll also be discussing the importance of literary prizes and how they influence what gets published, and the rise and potential pitfalls of auto-fiction. As always, stay tuned until the end for a preview of next week's episode, and enjoy. Hi, Hi Mark. Uh, Mark is the publisher at John Murray, um, and we have five of your books here today to talk about. Um, and just before we dive straight into that, can you tell us a little bit about John Murray? I'm sure lots of people will be familiar with it, but um, it's always interesting, I think, to hear someone from the inside self-describe. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so, jo- so John Murray is, I think, the well, we, we at least claim it is, um, so hopefully <laughs> it is, uh, the oldest continually um, existing uh, independent trade publishing house in the UK. So it's, it turned 250 last year. It was for um, all but the last um, almost 20 years uh, owned by the John Murray family and independent yeah. and, and had... Um, had a great 19th century, uh, <laughs> everyone from, from Jane Austen to Lord Byron, probably most famously, um, and, and Charles Darwin. Um, and in the 20th century had like, varying luck and some, some, bits, were, some bits were great and, and, and a bit up and down. Um, it was bought uh, around the turn of the century by Hodder as uh, then, which is now, as we all are, part of Hachette, um, and turned into a kind of fundamentally, I suppose, literary imprint mm-hmm. um, across both fiction and non-fiction. Right. So that is John Murray, which is part of Hodder, which is part of Hachette. Hachette right. Yes. Clear. And your role there is the publisher. So, yes. Yeah, so I'm the publisher of John Murray. Uh, and so I publish my own books, which mm-hmm. are mostly, although not exclusively fiction, um, but also look sort of over, oversee the whole editorial shape of the list right and um, just so people get a feel how many books do you guys publish a year how big is the team so we publish about we're still quite small um we publish about probably 30 new books per year right. first formats and then then we have the paperbacks etc um that's split roughly two-thirds one-third non-fiction to fiction um fiction is growing and and it was cut right back about the time that i joined and, and is growing but we're mm. still not that big um uh and it's on the fiction side. It's broadly literary, although as we'll probably come on to discuss, um, we publish some spy writers and, and crime writers, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, that some of the literary books that we do are also at least some, some somehow in the genre, uh, in genres. Um, and on the non-fiction side, really quite a wide range. So um, we are we are quite str- we are quite strong on pop science, and mm-hmm. obviously you know. Um, Having had Darwin, it's quite nice to carry that on. <laughs> yes, um, last year we published um, the the last book by Stephen Hawking, yeah. um, and we've got um, a, a good, strong pop science list. But we 
um, a good history list, um, increasingly some smart thinking, uh, some business, more international nonfiction. Um, right. So quite a wide range. Quite a range. Yeah. And um, is there something that you would say kind of unifies it? Is it the type of writing? I mean, you've mentioned quite a literary house. Is it that kind of upmarket, clever reader feel to it? Is that is that something you would... Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, this is something that I, I imagine most people will say who work for literary imprint, which is that um, in most cases, it's sort of, you're like, well, it's the best of its kind. Sure. And that's sort of how I, how I like to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so I think we're quite open to things that aren't necessarily stuff that we've done before, but but that feel to us good. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly on the fiction, as, as we may come on to discuss, um, I, I tried to be open as an editor um, to to good writing wherever it might be found and to try not to kind of um, be too much of a snob about <laughs> perceived literary value. Right. Um, although actually I'm probably, despite the fact that I do publish into genre, um, I perhaps do think that there is, there are differences. I'm not, I, I don't think I'm someone who thinks, oh, well, all, all books are exactly the same and, and that, that the label literary fiction is meaningless. I think it's a, I don't like it as a, a label, but I don't think it's meaningless. Okay. Well, I'm going to be interested to ask you about that later. Um, <laughs> But before John Murray, there was Fourth Estate, um, and is that was that your first job in publishing? Did you kind of because you spent quite a long time there? Yeah, that was basically my first job in publishing. Um, I was for the year after I left university, um, I failed as an actor, um, but I knew that I probably wanted to go into publishing, and if right. I'd if I'd had a bit more success as an actor, it, I might have um, it might have taken me a bit longer. But as it was. Um, uh, it was a year, but during that year, I worked for Rogers Coleridge and White, which is um, an absolutely brilliant literary agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I worked there one day a week, um, which was perfect for me at the time. And it gave me a real insight into the business. Mm-hmm. And um, I was reading submissions. I was reading the slush pile. Um, so I immediately got my eye in, um, mm-hmm. which is one of the most important things that you have to do as an editor, because probably up to that point, you've just been reading you've been reading the best of books that have been published in yes. the world ever yeah. and and maybe a few contemporary novels as well sure uh, and then suddenly you're confronted with a huge amount uh, of, of other of, things of other, <laughs> yes um and uh, did you did your kind of career follow that um tradition traditional kind of path that is you know did you go to internship editorial assistant assistant editor that kind of well-trodden yes yeah, so um so partly it was great because there was a low pressure way of being in there. So it, I, I was paid when I was at RSW, but it mm-hmm. was only one day a week. And it was, and during that year I did a short stint, just a couple of weeks at Picador. And so I saw the inside of a publishing house and it, it made me certain, I was pretty sure before, but it made me certain I wanted to be an editor rather than an agent. Um, and it meant that when I kind of finally did decide that maybe it was time to try and get a job um uh, that that i was quite specific in what i wanted to do i wanted to be an editorial assistant at a literary imprint and there aren't many of those jobs um in in town and yeah. maybe there are 20, in the world or, yeah, in the world <laughs> um and at that time though it is certainly more open it's much much more open now um but at that time, it was very common for jobs not to be advertised. And so I knew that I needed to be in a position where um, I would hear of any jobs that came up. Right. So, so it, it, because I'd had 
um, this time at this agency, I'd got to know some people. And so I was able to say, oh, I'm really looking for a job. And, and it, it took me six months of kind of real looking for right. a job um, to get the one for the state. And it was as an editorial assistant executive. Mm. Um, yeah, and that is something that kind of, I guess, hasn't changed those kind of, you know, you still hear those anecdotes about the hundreds of submissions for, you know, a picador editorial system. Yeah, we, we were looking um, this time last year, I was recruiting for um, an editorial assistant and we got over 300 applicants. Wow. And actually it was only at that stage for a six month posting. Wow. Um, and yeah, I spent three days reading through the applications. Wow. Um, but yeah, the odds are quite. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's interesting, like that you touched on it briefly there when you were talking about going through the slush pile. So uh, obviously, I mean, uh, filling in the gaps here a little bit, you progressed up the ranks, as it were, um, at Fourth Estate. But there must have come a moment when you were kind of on the eye out, uh, you know. And there's there's always this kind of thing in publishing of which type of editor are you going to be? Are you going to be the the one that I'm not very good at, which is the very diligent uh, copy uh, copywriter making sure everything is fact-checked and perfect, or are you going to be the one who kind of commissions titles, who says, yes, I'm putting my name beside this, we should pay some money for it. Um, so were you... Um, that kind of leads us on nicely to your, your first commission. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and do you want to talk about that and how that came about? Were you kind of on the lookout, waiting for the right book to land on your desk? Yeah, um, I was um, very fortunate at Fourth Estate, um, is a place was and I think very I think still is a place where they're very encouraging to you um, from from the moment you get there you're mm. trusted um, and while they won't say okay well you can go and have an expense account and start yes, exactly. agents yeah. there was a very real sense that anyone there could bring up any project mm. um, and in fact that that was uh, so Angelis Joseph Sarasati's Park is the first novel that I published though I had published a a work of non-fiction that had sort of come about um, uh, because someone I knew had this idea, and it, um, it was a kind of uh, a sort of Christmas a Christmas book called "What on Earth Is Going On," and it kind of explained in in quite kind of upbeat but succinct way, basically mm. knotty problems right. um, that you needed to know if you were reading the news. And it was um, actually it sort of did very nicely, but it was like a sense in which, oh well, you know, fine, that sounds like a good idea to us. Go, go and do That's it. interesting because it's um, uh, something I've kind of picked, learned uh, doing these <laughs> interviews. Is that, that is not the case everywhere. You know, no, sometimes that isn't the case everywhere. People, even they're saying your current position, you get quite <laughs> a dictatorial um, publisher who you know very much is is res- responsible for every single book that they that they're going to be publishing. So that that's quite. Yeah, a, I, I think. I mean, I I was very lucky in many ways to end up at Fourth Estate, um, and that's that's one of the reasons that it is definitely um, a place that that you are encouraged to come up with your own Mm. ideas when you get there and it's up to you to be proactive about it but but that it's that it's there um and i try to make and i hope john murray is 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 a place like that sure um but actually having said all that (laughs) uh, um uh my first novel that i commissioned um this yeah, is the is, first book we're going to talk about. So. Um, was in fact sent originally to my to my then boss mm-hmm. at Fourth Estate, and um, it was a f- you know, first novel, and and um, he was oh, actually you know maybe maybe you want to have a look at it instead, mm. um, and I did, and I I really loved it. It's a very um, um, it's a quite a subtle um, but brilliantly painted story of um, sort of middle class. Uh, Bombay life um, and uh, contemporary and sort of very and and charming and, and just very um, and very evocative 
and and it was a real pleasure to publish actually and I, I think I learned I learned quite a lot from publishing it for various reasons um, uh, principally I think which is something that I've always thought about um, the importance of prizes in mm. our own literary ecology um, it it didn't sort of, it didn't win any big ones but it but it but it won both the Desmond Elliott which is prize for first novels and also the Betty Trask which is again another yeah, prize for no first novels prize, yeah. um, and and really but established that must have, her as a, yeah, as a writer but that must also have been incredible for you to get that kind of validation to yeah, say yeah it was lovely <laughs> <laughs> it was great yeah exactly yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about that and the literary prizes and the importance of them, because I mean, from one of the, you know, lots of the literary books that um, we publish at Unbound as well, mm. you know, that is, uh, you know, they don't have uh, the immediate kind of commercial element that if you're publishing crime or mm. uh, other kind of genre fiction, and it is uh, something that people do talk about, you know, mm. that we hope it's going to get longlisted because mm. that is how it's going to get attention and how it's going to ultimately mm. sell copies. Mm. Um, do you think that, I mean, is that inevitable? Do you... Uh, I don't know if it's ne- inevitable, um, but it's certainly the situation that yeah. we are in. I would, and I would argue increasingly so, um, given uh, how few retail channels to market there are right. more for these so the, for literary books so the um, power of say Waterstones or someone like that to make a bestseller. yeah so, Water, so Waterstones can and yep. will you know Waterstones is in a way the other option but yep. and it's and it actually it's, it's been great to see that change over the last few years where it's realised it, it can spot mm. these books and really make them and it has it knows it has the the audience for it it knows when it recommends a book yep. people will buy it yep. um, and they skew literary in, so that's that's that's, that's good for us. Yeah, because my um, some of my colleagues here at Unbound, my my boss, my media boss Matthew Clayton, uh, he always talks about this things you know ten or fifteen or twenty years ago yeah. that you had eight or ten yes. retail channels. Yeah. And that if yeah. you could get three of them on board, yeah. you were onto something. Yeah. Well, now you've probably got three retail channels. Well, you really have one <laughs> in the sense that you have Waterstones, you right. have Amazon, which is. Um, which is in many ways, well, it's, it's interesting, I think it's had big, big effects, but it's, it doesn't make books. So yes. Amazon's brilliantly reactive, um, and it will mean that when someone hears a piece of pub publicity on the you know, hears something on the radio about something or reads a great review, they can immediately order it. And mm. that, that has been great. Um, and actually, it's had the effect of putting the, putting the emphasis much more onto publicists and right. away from salespeople. Mm. Um, but anyway, this is... Quite in, <laughs> anyway, but so, but basically, um, but yes, you, you have Watsons as the, as the remaining chain. You have the independents who remain very important, but yep. they are still, you know, quite a minority of the market. And mm. you have Amazon, um, and it was exactly as your boss says. Um, even when I was joining, there were at least half a dozen, and it mm. felt like, oh, well, if you know, Watsons don't like it, then books etc. might do, and yeah, you know, right, or borders right. might like it. And so there were there were many more possibilities about getting a decent number out there. So it has meant to come back to the original point that that prizes are so fundamentally the way that we sell mm. literary fiction and there are a large number of of right of writers you feel that that is the only way that they will ever sell and it does affect it affects my i would go so far as to say that i don't really take on a literary writer unless i think they they might they have a I, unless i think they might end up at least being on the shortlist, if not winning one right. of the major prizes. And by the major prizes, I mean the Booker, the Women's Prize, 
and the Costa. Right. Um, Those are the three. On and your I list. Don't, it doesn't have to be with that book. It could be within sure. in three books time. Okay, that's or whatever interesting. It is. But it is like if if I don't see a way that they're going to get prize attention, I would find it very hard to know how to publish right. Them. It's almost in the sense that you know when you hear about crime book, for instance, people talk about what's the hook or. You know, it's the things required in order to sell copies of this book mm. beyond it just being good. Mm. So that's quite interesting. Yeah, um, which uh, which I think is in a way, in terms of, <laughs> if I suppose if I were a writer, I think hearing that I would maybe depend what kind of person I was. But but it, I think it's interesting that I feel actually that that's becoming increasingly an attitude of quite a lot of editors mm. in the industry, um, and and we are certainly publishing less than we used to well generally um but i would also say that the, the flip side of that is is that probably we are we are kind of we might be publishing better i think oh, because wow. because because you're focusing really on the books that you actually think yeah i mean that the is writers of, that you actually think are really that is good. one of those things that is always said publish less but publish better yeah yeah, yeah. and and the problem was that it, the economics of it without getting into too much of it actually used to militate a bit more in terms of well just chuck it at the wall and see if it sticks and and you know whereas now they those don't really work those kind of economics Mm. certainly in the literary sphere so yeah Mm. well that prize uh, talk brings us quite nicely onto the next book which is andrew hurley's deloney which uh, did indeed win one of your three prizes (laughs) which was the cost of first book awards it also uh won the british book awards book of the year in 2016 but um it didn't, uh, whereas your first book, uh, Angelie Joseph, had a maybe very traditional publication story, this book had anything but. Yes. Um, so, Andrew um, Andrew wrote this novel. He'd, he'd, he'd self-published two collections of short stories, um, but had basically been writing in his spare time. In fact, I think, part, I think he went part-time um, as a librarian. Um, and... But he'd been writing, he'd been teaching himself to write, really, I think, and had published, self-published two collections of stories, and then wrote this novel, The Loney, which was um, uh, a novel set essentially on the coast in, in Lancashire, um, um, essentially in Morecambe Bay, that's, that's basically what The Loney is. Um, and it was a, what was it, a sort of gothic-y, a little bit horror-y, but, sort of, but literary also quite a lot of nature writing in, in mm. it you know it was a very, very well written and very you know very well written novel and he didn't really know what he'd done I think he didn't really know what he'd written what he'd done uh, <laughs> in terms of how to pitch it or how to imagine it um he did try I think t- although not particularly hard to get an agent um and when that didn't happen he he just I think googled uh literary horror or literary gothic and he came across this press called Tartarus um uh, based in Yorkshire um, which is run by a husband and wife team in in Yorkshire, and and he sent it off, and they got back to him and said, "This is this is great. We'd love to publish it." Um, so they are a very very niche publisher. They're, they're amazing. They they generally do out of they generally do um, out of print kind of literary horror ghost story writers. Oh, right. so, so so they're they're the kind of writer they might do is someone like Mr James, but less famous than Mr James. So right, they just, I see. they they reprinted. Um, uh, Robert Aikman, Robert, yeah, yeah, because um, then and Faber even picked up, yes, which Faber picked up, yeah, exactly, right, exactly. So that's and they have a, they have a kind of 
they're known in their audio. They've generally published about three to five hundred copies in these beautiful hardback editions, um, and they sell them essentially online to their to, to the same three hundred five hundred. Yeah, exactly, time. exactly, yeah. exactly. Great, what a business model. Um, and 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 this was a kind of example of a contemporary novel that fit exactly that. So they mm. then published it. I came across it because I saw um, actually Jesse Greengrass, who we'll talk about later, on Twitter mentioning it. Um, and I was a bit who said the Loney is as good as is brilliant is as good as whoever recommended it to me said it, <laughs> said it was um, and I was a bit intrigued because I hadn't heard of it and when you're when you work in publishing you, you, you do hear I think of most yeah. books most contemporary books in your area mm-hmm. um, and so I looked it up on Amazon and, and, and I downloaded a copy and I read it um, and I just thought it was brilliant and I felt that that we could do something more with it, right. um, and so I, we, I approached the publisher, and 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 they were they agreed, and and we, so we kind of we we bought the rights to the Loney, um, and we then republished it in hardback, um, but were able able to use um, it. It, the, it had got one review in the in the Telegraph in a roundup. Um, uh, and uh, which said it was a contemporary, a modern classic or something. So it was quite a helpful. Yeah, thing I read to that earlier today. Put on, yeah, the, put on the proof. And, uh, and we, yeah, but, uh, um, so we then really, put, you know, we really went out with it. We went out with a lot of proofs. We got some great quotes um, from, including from Stephen King, but also you know from quite a wide range yeah. of writers as well. Um, and were you buying it as is? You, did, you didn't take any in that case. Work? I I was buying it as is. Yes. Do you, no, is I that was. your normally the case? Do you tend to edit? How give people a feeling for what kind of so they yeah, signed their publishing really, contract with John Murray? What kind of uh, <laughs> how much of their toil are you going to tear up? It really de- it really depends. It really really depends. And but I would say that and it. Re- it it depends an extraordinary amount. I mean, some some writers I barely edit mm. at all, if at all, uh, and others I I edit really quite a lot. Um, I think on the first book, it, I think I would I will have been clear what I think you know the, how much work I think the novel would need when you're taking it on you mean before yeah before yeah. they get to sign the contract yeah so, I, so I, I think it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a surprise yes they'd be signing a contract thinking oh well fantastic yeah they're How, taking it they're taking yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so i try and really be 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 as clear as i that's can. something that i've found as well i mean i think it's just so important to almost be saying to the author this is the, my vision for this book. Mm-hmm. If you don't agree with it, mm. then you shouldn't be publishing with me. Mm. You know, that uh, making sure you have this kind of shared vision of it, I think yeah. is kind of quite crucial from the outset. Yeah, I think there's a kind of, it depends on what's, I, you know, I have to ask myself the question as well. And I think there are some cases where I'm like, well, I, I, I ideally would suggest all of this and I hope, but then, actually, I would also publish it as is. Yeah. <laughs> so, Interesting. And um, so it's a bit. It's a more yeah. And I try and I try and phrase. I try and phrase it always as suggestions. That yeah. Obviously, I hope that they that the writers will um, accept, and whether or not they sort of do it, but they at least understand it. And that, um, but but I think that is a you know as an editor. It, you know, at the end of the day, it's the writer's name on the book, um, and so I think at the end of the day, it does have to be um, something there, something there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, 
but I, I enjoy I do I enjoy the process. Mm. I really do enjoy it, um, and I enjoy the different parts of it. I enjoy I enjoy the kind of the bigger picture, more structural edits, and I I also enjoy kind of line edits. Um, mm. If if for nothing else, it's a chance to read some very good books very slowly. It's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> and what about um, working with your wider team then? Because you must have a, a series of editors underneath you. Do are you? Um, uh, how I'm, I'm trying to get a feel for the process mm-hmm. is it you, are you asking them to bring it to a publishing meeting are you going to be involved in the um, decision making about publishing is it mm-hmm. a more a team decision or do you find you have one individual championing something um, I also know there's that fantastic story about one of your uh, editors and Elmet yes yes um, which, um, it- which uh, well the thing we maybe we'll get onto it later. So Elmet is, was published on the Jam Originals. List That's right. As Jesse Greengrass, who I've actually now already mentioned, but um, yeah. <laughs> was first published on the Originals list. And and the thing about that list is that it is it was set up actually in order to be a purely editorial decision. So in order, in a way, to circumvent <laughs> the, the the wider team, right? But on the understanding that there are, you know, that that that. That we had to be able just to just to do some, some for the editorial quality rather exactly, than a exactly. salesperson or something. Yeah, and it's like you know these. It almost specifically says while we hope you know what the list. While we obviously hope that mm-hmm. these books will end up doing well commercially, and and some have done yep. well commercially. You know, Elmet, Elmet being a big... preeminently. Um, we are able to take a yeah. decision for on those books outside of that, and so, it's not. It's a list we only, and it's a small list we only do between one and four books a year. Um, and it's really you know it's there when we want it um, I see so this is a list within John Murray uh, yes. you launched it what about 18 months ago or something like we were in there three years oh my god 2015 was the oh, first, right. first lot so that that had there were two um, two writers so Paula yep. McGrath um, we published her first novel Generation and we published Jesse Greengrass's right. collection well, of that's, stories that's a good as transition um, as we're going to get right, so this yeah. is um, <laughs> Jesse Greengrass's quite extraordinary collection of first stories with the most uh Brilliant title, an account of the decline of the great orc, according to one who saw it. Um, yes. I got this book as a secret Santa. Did you? It did. Yeah, from so my colleague, uh, my well. colleague at work, who um, he kind of quite subtly asked me what I was reading, which I thought was kind of quite pointed question uh-huh. at the time, and only realised later what it was. But I um, read and totally loved it, um, and I wasn't alone. It kind of won a bunch of prizes. Um, and that was was that the first book you'd done on JM Originals? Yeah, so it was one of the two launch oh, titles the for the for the list. Um, uh, actually, there is a bit of an origin story in that one as well, which is that um, I had got in touch with a reviewer um, because he had written just a brilliant sort of roundup of of the fit that year's fiction, and I was like, someone who can write that well on contemporary fiction must at least be thinking about writing right. fiction so themselves. it was almost a piece of criticism or, or ra- yeah yeah it was in the paper but it was a big roundup and it was just very it was just it was sharp and funny and pointed and just just it was great and very well written so I got in touch with him and I was like well you know I loved your piece are you writing a novel and he was like well yes but I probably going to take me 10 years and you know, <laughs> even then I probably won't be happy with it very honest uh, <laughs> but in the meantime would you mind looking at my friend's stories and I was like no no of course not um, and they arrived in the, in the next few days um, and the first one I looked at was the 
title story of the collection yeah, yeah. Um, and I read the first paragraph of an account of the decline of the great orc um, and I immediately was like well, I just have to have to publish this one and it seems to me that and is that the paragraph that I have yeah, yeah, before me yeah. so just to <laughs> yeah. give people a flavour this rock was perhaps an island once but now all that is left is a dowager's hump breaching the ocean sheer and all but one side and on that side it slopes so that you can bring a ship in close um, yeah, and what follows is a pretty Ron Seal account <laughs> yeah. of the decline of the Great Orc. <laughs> it is, but yeah. the whole collection yeah. is um, playful and sharp and mm. a, extraordinary choice of language. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always, and it's particularly with the with Jesse's novel, which we're going to talk about in a moment, yeah. you kind of have these sentences that are going along yeah. and all of a certain this razor-sharp word yeah. that's just utterly perfect. Mm. Um, but it just absolutely sang and it was a real moment I mean maybe it was my own moment uh, when I was reading kind of two or three people like this and it felt just so encouraged about the state mm. of the short story I'm mm. thinking of um, A Trib and other stories which Influence oh, Press yes. published yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking of Claire Louise Bennett's Pond which was published mm. by uh, Fitzgerald O'Hare yeah. and um, yeah. uh, Sting Fly, oh, Sting, Sting, yeah, Sting Fly Ireland and Riverdale yeah. in the States but again these kind of incredibly um, on the face of it slightly playful and fun but something much more i don't know d- deeper mm. underneath as yeah. well i think um she i mean this isn't this isn't my um, insight it's just jesse herself described her stories as almost they're almost arguments in a way mm. even though so some of them are historical some of them are contemporary one or two are set in the future that they, they have but they're but they're in a way workings out of of a kind of idea i think mm. and she read philosophy at university and um, and I, I don't know how to sort of put that in because it, you know, the, the ideas of philosophical, I mean, the idea of philosophical fiction normally just <laughs> I mean, leaves me absolutely cold, but that's the thing. They're not philosophical. They're not cold at all, but, but they're, they're not cold the at all. They're deeply, deeply like, emotional and, and moving. Yeah. But there is a sort of, there is a very strict way in which one thing follows the other, I think. And, yes. Um, there is a working out. I exactly. And I sense. think, and she's, and, and similarly with the novel, which, which I absolutely absolutely love and it's um what she said about her own writing is that if she if she could sum it up she wouldn't have written it in the first place and i think that's lovely i think that's a very nice way of thinking well that's why i read it as well because that is you know that's exactly it i mean and sight which is the uh, jesse's first novel which came out in 2018 um and the book that we met over because we met on a kind of about 11 o'clock at night in a pub in North London. Yeah. And I said, you're that Mark Richards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this was probably, I was thinking about it today, whether I was going to make this statement. Yeah, I think my favorite book of 2018. Oh, like, I so absolutely loved it. But um, that question, what you just said, makes so much sense in the context of this book, mm-hmm. which is a, a pregnant woman about to have her second child working out the que- answer to the question of if she wants to have children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the kind of, it is that philosophical in the sense that she's already done it and is going mm-hmm. to do it again. It's kind of abstract in that sense, mm-hmm. but wholly not abstract mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is only part of what this book is because it also is talking about Freud and mm-hmm. the inventor of the x-ray. And I guess the title slightly comes from this moment when we could suddenly see into people in these two different ways into yes. the mind in yes. Freud into the body through the x-ray yes. um, and to bring those kind of three strands and a million others together <laughs> it's just kind of completely sings um, and Jessie too was also was shortlisted for the Women's Prize she was yes yes, she was shortlisted for the Women's Prize which was, which was great to see um, um, yeah I yeah I uh, 
Yeah, I really love the novel. I think she, she's an, I think she's an extraordinary yeah. writer. It's the type um, of thing that for you know, if anyone's the reader of people like W. G. Wald and the yeah. million people who are yeah. compared to him, the teacher calls of the world. Yeah, uh, it's totally. If you were fans of either of those, I yeah. urge you to pick this book up. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's one I've forced on many, <laughs> many people. Um, but the kind of third book we've got to talk about uh, from John Murray is completely different. It is, yes. I guess, a bit more of a spy thriller, complete yes, spy absolutely. thriller, uh, by Mick Heron. It's called London Rules. It is the fifth book yeah. uh, in the series, um, but a bit like Deloney. It has a maybe mm. non-traditional yeah. <laughs> route, route to your desk as well. Yes. Um, so Mick was published. So it's the fifth book in this series that, well, we've now called it the Jackson Lamb series as he's one of the principal characters but all the slough house series um about a, a group of um, dropout spies basically and i for a long time tried to think what the pitch was um which <laughs> i'm generally not very good at but finally i i came up with john le Carrier meets the office and it's that sense of that it's, it's in the spy world and it's got its rules and he kind of conjures it um very vividly um well you know whether or not it's authentic i don't know uh but um but but it's it's mainly about these characters and and their kind of failures in their different ways, and they've all mm. been sacked from the from from MI5 for for various crimes of drunkenness or stupidity or just <laughs> general awfulness, um, and they're they're put in this place, Slough House, which is a kind of purgatory, and they're um, um, and um, ruled over by this awful awful man, Jackson Lamb, who who kind of has no redeeming features really, except at the end of the day, he'll will he will go to the wall for his for his team see, his right. shows anyway so it's the fifth it's the fifth in the series um he but make it published um a previous series plus a couple of standalones and the slow uh, slow horses which is the first book in the series which i think was his seventh novel his longtime uk publisher published the hardback but at that point it was an independent publisher and and the, the the owner was though the editor wants to carry on the the owner and was like well I'm I'm really sorry I just feel we've we've just tried and we've given him like a seven lot of books. opportunities seven books and we just we just can't carry on so right. they didn't actually even publish the paperback so at that point his US publisher um, Soho Press had stepped in um, and were like well okay well we we'll, we'll do the paperback we'll just distribute it into the, into the right UK. so this is they they the, the UK territory exactly, of the book exactly. they were publishing in the US anyway. Exactly. And, which is and, which, which is, is a big um Yeah, which us, is it's not it's very unusual. It's unusual, it's not and it's not ideal as well because no. you know you don't they have can't the really publish people on the ground. The exactly, or, yeah. exactly. But it's better to have some, some copies than, than none. So that, and yes. that was the situation. And then I think his I think his agent then tried to sell the second book around London and again did and and didn't. Um and so again the Soho stepped in and published then the second book in both hardback and paperback in the UK, and that ended up winning the Gold Dagger, I think. Yes, um, uh, the Crime Writers yeah. uh, Awards Gold Dagger. Um, because of that, they then reissued the first book, um, and it got into Smith's. Um, and I was in a Smith's travel in Liverpool Street Station, and I spotted this book, and it looked again. This is it just was obviously an American book, and I mm. can find they're slightly different, slightly different size. Um, the covers just are very different. Absolutely. I, was like, what is, I was like, hold on, what's an American? And I picked it up and I was like, well, hold on, what, what? what's an American book doing here in the first place? But, you know, there aren't that many. <laughs> but, but also, like, hold on, he's British and he's writing novels set in Britain. And mm. um, It's amazing. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't think it, but that yeah. small format and change will 
jump out at you the yeah, second yeah, you really see will. it. And the cover as well. I mean, yeah. even people who don't necessarily work in books, you can you can line them up and yeah. I bet you'll be able to pick yeah. it. No, exactly, exactly. And so um, was it a bit like the Loney and you were like, I should know about this, but I don't? Yeah, I know. I was like, I know, because I didn't really publish into that area, but I... Um, no, I didn't publish into that area, but I picked it up and... Um, and then I just read, I read again, it was sort of the first sentence and, mm. um, and I was like, right, okay, I'm like, I'm in. I, I think it was something like, um, this is the story of how River Cartwright um, fell off. I can't remember. Anyway, but basically it turned out actually it's apparently quite a famous, it's, it's, a, it's a reworking of a quite a famous <laughs> opening sentence. It's not a crime <laughs> novel, but I didn't have any idea of that. And I read it and it was just like, it's, it's brilliantly written. Like it's, um, the characterization is superb. It's very, very funny. Um, it's very cynical and funny. Um, and, but, the, it, but, but it's very, very well plotted. I mean, it, and it's kind of so kind of tight. Um, but it was like, as some, I was like, actually this, this guy can, I just thought he was a brilliant writer as mm. well as a very, very entertaining one. Mm. Um, it's got the most extraordinary collection of quotes on it. I mean, yeah. something you can say for <laughs> yeah, a lot of books. But, know. you know, again, I've got everyone from Val McDermott um, using the John McCary uh, to Mark Billingham to, um, you know, Sarah Hillary saying it, my favourite books by yeah. a long mile. Yeah. Christopher Brookmeyer, Antonio Hodgson. Like, it's a, that's quite an endorsement. No, it's been, it's been wonderful, actually. And it really has been sort of organic because at that point it felt that he wasn't, because he'd, he'd published quite a lot of books, he was known among certain crime writers and, and, and in particular, actually, which was helpful for us crime um, reviewers and so we what, what we did we bought the first two books to republish and then published the third Real Tigers the first one we did as as a kind of as a new book right um, so you rejacketed it and you... we rejacketed and all this kind of stuff and um, our brilliant publicist Yasin Belkasmi he he basically went round to the, all the reviewers and were like listen I know you really like this guy, so please, please come out for him this mm. time because this is his this is this his is chance. the chance. This yeah. really is the chance. We really and it happened. It was extraordinary. Like he mm. got thirteen reviews. They were like all all of them raved. Wow! And it was and it built that it didn't immediately kick everything off, but it was from that moment. I think everyone realised yeah. quite quite what and we what, had. Um, do you think there was some? Was it partly that fresh start and like a new group of people? Who really believed in it? You know why? Yeah, do you I think mean, it what I say, what I say is that um, I was entirely ignorant of <laughs> any of like the history of the publication, or and to be honest, pretty ignorant. Um, I'd never published a spy thriller before, and I was like, well, but I basically I really love it, so, so yeah. I can just give I it a bet go. I can find other people. Can <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I, mean, I, think, always... I think, in a way, it was it was sort of the benefit of ignorance. Had I known more about it, perhaps I would have been more wary. But it yeah. was, uh, <laughs> and I, but actually, that what had been had been a lesson that I learned very, very early at, at Fourth Estate, um, which was the pretty much the first book that was sent in when I was there. And it was sent in to my boss and I read it um, because it was sent in to her. So I was reading it with her. It was um, Netherland by Joseph O'Neill, oh, which, yeah. um, which I absolutely loved. I know, I it's an extraordinary it. book. Um, I mean, that, to, ha- to have that land in my first book, it was sort of like... You're like, this is going to be easy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like, this is great. It's going to be one of these. Every, yeah, there wasn't, yeah. You know, I wasn't one of those for a long time. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it basically, he had been published. He 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 had published two novels earlier in his career, and and had published then a, then a memoir. But I hadn't published for a little while. But basically, everyone, I think, there were, in the end, his 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 previous publisher did offer us um, a little bit of money. But but the agent felt it he needed to kind of fresh start, mm. or needed to see someone to to kind of yeah. be, you know, offer a bit more or to really show confidence or something. But sure. anyway, uh, like, but it, part so apart from that offer, we were the, the fourth state was the only offer, and it was it was a bit that um, 
that we didn't care. Like, yes, fine, it came off a terrible track record, and mm. he, you know, if you looked at him, you would have thought, well, it's not going to work. But it didn't. Yeah. You know, this was a brilliant is- book. Also, the other other reason is like, oh, it's a book about. But lots of crickets about in it, yes. and you know, books with cricket in it don't work. It's like, well, it's yeah, a, they, but they do. It's like <laughs> it's a brilliant novel, so of course it. So why yeah. does that matter? Yeah, and and so I, so very very early in my career, I think I was. Like, it just doesn't matter about track record or about like um, cliches about what does or doesn't work. Yeah, it's like yeah. if the book is really good, then. Those things are. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? So it's funny, and, isn't it? Because it's one of those. You know, it's it's that classic pull and push thing in any publishing or any mm-hmm. business, which is the kind of creative people and the salespeople. Not to say that those two things overlap, but that's the kind of you know the, the either end of the spectrum. Uh, and you know, you constantly or I feel like I'm constantly hearing people like, "Oh, it was great, but it didn't sell," and then that's kind of in their career. Yeah, I, I do think that like the the, the ones that are really. The really, really good ones break yeah. through. Um, the thing is, lots of bad books break through as well, and lots of Absolutely. good books don't work. So, it, yeah. it, like, it can feel. Like, that's not to say everything is how it should be. Yes. But. Okay, and then one book I was absolutely needed to mention while I have you here, which is Nick Drake. Yes. Working with the Nick Drake yes. estate to put together that book. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Because that must have been something. Yeah, it was wonderful, um, and also um, also a total nightmare um, because <laughs> n- not because of the estate, and the estate is his sister, right? Um, who's a wonderful woman who actually herself was so quite strange because she was really quite a famous actress in in the eighties and nineties, um, Gabrielle Drake, and she was in I think Crossroads, but oh, right. um, at, at the time when Nick Drake wasn't well, it wasn't famous, famous at, at all. all so right. <laughs> it's like this quite strange yeah. situation where that yeah. Um, and but the thing is the and they'd never done they'd never the estate had never done a book um and they wanted to do one mm-hmm. um and for various reasons i uh, um i was for various reasons i put in touch with the the kind of uh, the manager of the estate and we we had a big talk about it and it was actually a project that i'd originally contracted at full state and brought over with me to John right. Murray when I joined um, and it was a long long time in gestation and also the reason it was a nightmare was because it was a as you may have seen a huge um, full colour uh, massive massive book yeah. um, that, and those so from a kind of production from style. a production point of view yeah. exactly and, but also made up of lots of different, well, obviously just the images, et cetera, et cetera, but sure. also lots of different pieces by people he knew or, or interviews with Gabrielle and, right. this, and and just a lot of different... Moving to, parts. Exactly, <laughs> to build into, because what they never wanted to do, and I really think it's sort of a lovely, they never wanted to do a, a biography that would pin him down. They wanted to give... Something that was true. Or... Exactly, and it's like, well, you know, multi, very multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also put together a, um, a special edition of the book, which which... Uh, included a kind of previously unreleased um, BBC session that right. I don't know, this, the kind of recording has only just been found. We printed some, printed it on vinyl, but at that point, at that time, there was a vinyl shortage because vinyl is suddenly oh, quite blown six, up. Know, exactly. Wow. So, <laughs> so, and in a big box. Anyway, it was all of it, but it's one of those things, of course, you, you go you've through. You've got a copy at home there. You and you've got a copy at home, and I'm very, very, very proud of it. Mm. I think it's a really, um, well, it's a beautiful book in its production values, but I, I it's a deeply deeply moving book as well I, I just i think it's really wonderful so i am very yeah i am very very proud of that um and then the final book we've got to talk about today this is olivia Gra- uh, glazebrook's the frank business yes um so <laughs> so in a way having said all that about prizes and the, the you know essential nature of them um 
in a way, my worry with a writer like Olivia is that though I think she should be winning prizes, I, I slightly worry that she's a bit she's a bit caught between two stools. That she um, that she's probably she writes these like very insightful, um, incisive books about family and about relations and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and this novel, which is her third novel. Um, opens with the death of the titular Frank. Um, uh, his estranged daughter um, collects his body. Turns out he had a heart defect, but it also turns out that he had um, another son. Mm-hmm. Uh, who so she's she, discovered she, a so brother. She, she discovered a brother, so she has to go and tell yep. tell the brother that she, he might have this heart issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the brother is part of this big family, and and it's that's I'm not giving anything away because that happens in the first few yes. pages. So that it's very much. It's then the repercussions of that, and I, it's it's she's one of the, she's just very very good on on people and their self deceptions and their and their interactions and um, she's funny with it in a kind of darkly comic way. Yeah, and even um, like the character who I think will live longest with me is probably Kathleen, who is the mother. Yes, yeah, the mother yeah, of the yeah. son that yeah. uh, Frank had a, yeah. a affair with. And, you know, she is um, complicated and frustrating and you want her to behave more like a mother in the book should behave, but she keeps behaving more like a mother in life would would (laughs) behave. Um, And especially in relation to her daughter, who's not Frank's son, who she is um, kind of unintentionally awful to Mm -hmm. um, and can't see it herself. Mm. She's completely blind to how she's kind of behaving. So it's almost yeah, everyone so, around her. So, yeah. And, you know, she, I mean, she's, she's a, has very much her redemption, uh, you know, her kind of redeeming points, but she's Absolutely. a deeply selfish character as, as a lot. Of, and I think in a way that's what's quite interesting about it is I think there's a kind of, the reason that I think she's stranded a bit as a writer between two stools, although I hope that, it, it, I hope I'm going to be proved wrong and I'm going to do everything I can to prove myself wrong, um, is that she doesn't, it's not a comforting read. It does end, it ends nicely. So, so it does, mm. it leaves you on a note of kind of um, but upbeat, is, but like it's yeah. not, you the know, questions it poses are not. Nice. Yeah. And also there's an honesty about the characters. Yes. There's not a there's not a, it's not sentimental. And no. I think a lot of, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I do think a lot of kind of, um, a lot of fiction can be quite sort of sentimental and soothing. And that's, that's, that's fine and that's what people mm. that's what people need and want um but i think for me part of the interest in fiction is is to be clear-eyed and open and honest um but because it's because the framework of a novel like this is a sort of family drama it, it it's very hard for it to feel in in a in a prize jury room the five you know you've got a novel that's dealing with like deep issues and themes about of yeah. bit, like of of what, whatever it might be or and it's like well this is this is just a middle class family and and mm. sort of and the repercussions um, of their behavior you've kind of touched on a few times now and um, when we talk about the lonely about andrew not quite not knowing how to present his work <laughs> yeah, maybe and maybe yeah. in situation but <laughs> yeah. i i i'm just wondering like i mean uh that's kind of something that's I uh, interested me since I started working in publishing. Mm. That because uh, people don't haven't read the book yet, obviously because you're trying to sell them. Yeah, um, <laughs> that pitch is so crucial. Yeah, um, but even much sooner than that, when you're mm. an editor who wants to take on a book, that internal mm. pitch is kind of absolutely vital. Mm. And it's so much easier to get those books through the ones that you can say it's dealing with this issue, or there's a really mm. great hook or whatever. So you know, a book like this, which is 
um, very true and very moving. And you know, again, it, it's it's a book you I, I'm very glad to have read. But it's kind of how the discoverability to use that terrible word maybe is a bit harder. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I think it's a shame because I think that actually it's the kind of novel that quite could be read by really quite a lot of different people, and in a different. I feel like two, three decades ago, it would have been much easier to publish because mm. there was much more of a sort of mid mid list, and the and the and the and, you know, you, uh, uh, and it's it's harder these days. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, the, I think on your point about pitching, you're you're totally right. But I, I suppose what I try and do is I never re- I never read. Um, when agents send me um, a submission, I never read the letter. When when they talk to me about when they pitch it to me on the phone, I basically I more or less hold the phone away because I'm like I I just don't I just don't care and I will I will react entirely on whether on starting to read and then and then basically I only read the pitch letter once I've read and liked the book right. um, or sometimes if I'm not really liking it I read the pitch letter to check that so, you, so you're not missing something <laughs> I'm not missing something but but yeah so so maybe that's but then I suppose that's my way of trying to, to keep it pure to yeah read. yeah because uh, then to, 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 to react as a reader and then only and only then to start to react as a publisher and mm. to think about how to pitch it and maybe you're right actually maybe maybe the kind of <laughs> common theme that goes through most of my not the novels that I choose to publish is that they're quite difficult to pitch but um, but we'll you know Maybe we'll, that's see. well I was going to ask I mean having talked about these five or six books you know what makes a Mark Richards book what do you think is the, the kind of unifying thing which I mean there is no answer to but I mean difficult to pitch is quite a good yeah, I mean it's very clear and obviously it's very clear in my mind well maybe, well, maybe to but I, but I can't explain it well maybe to take Jesse's things if I knew yeah. what they were about I wouldn't have published exactly, them exactly exactly <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, um, thanks for joining us, Mark. The last question I'm going to ask you, which is the question I've asked everyone so far, okay. is we've talked about lots and lots of books you have published. Uh, yes. Have uh, you got one uh, of recent times that you wish you had gotten to publish? Um, I, I do, and, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I thought whether or not I should say it, because I suspect everyone will be um, mentioning it, um, but, but it's Sally Rooney's Normal People. For the novel itself... Um, which I just absolutely loved, even though oddly there are things in it that I didn't like. There were quite a lot of things that I didn't necessarily love, and but but yet it, I still think it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And um, I, so basically, I'm picking it partly for the novel itself, um, but I'm more picking it because I really, really hope that more writers will start to write like. Uh, <laughs> um, we in terms so of like in terms of this novel, which is you know it's about the characterization it's about it's about deep human insights about people and the way that they behave mm. um and i think um and i i don't think actually there are that many oddly there are maybe because it seems quite old-fashioned but there don't seem to be that many younger writers doing that kind um, of a thing and i wish there were more of them and uh, just to dig into that a bit so when you say that they're quite character focused you mean as opposed to being kind of thematic or even plot orientated yeah i mean um yeah i i i think um i don't i don't i don't think that the influence of Autofiction has generally been a good one in okay. you know, autofiction, which has been around in in France and elsewhere for for now decades, but has really only come over into the you know Anglo American uh, or so English language really in the last in the last probably decade. Um, and 
and there's seems to me a, a license at the moment for a lot of for writers to to write um, quite narrowly in terms of their in terms of experience and 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 that their own experience is enough in a novel and sometimes it is no sometimes it is there's a wonderful you could argue that Jessie is autofictional I, I don't really think she is but anyway um but and but and that's not to say there aren't some really good autofictions but I think it's I think it's given a given a license basically to to for writers to write what are not that much more than diaries and for for us to sort of for, to take that and and often they'd be like often there are the characters are are our writers and yeah, it's like there is a limited and there is a limit there's a limit to how much anyone wants to read about that and those and it's like I don't I think we are in danger of alienating mm. we're in danger of alienating our potential literary audience if those if it's only those novels that that people are really talking about so these about. are the ones that I guess you would um, are true in the in the in the sense that they are you know based on fact as opposed to are based on memoir yeah yeah but but you know, writers have always used their own autobiography, but they've just transmuted it through different formal constraints, and they, and 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 they've often put it into you know transmuted into different characters. Sure. And I'm sure normal people is in some ways autobiographical, but it's in no way an autofictional novel. It's yeah. it's, it's it, these are two characters who exist on and independent live and, and live and, independent yeah. of the author Absolutely, in a way yeah. that I think a lot of writing now is like. No, I, I, you know, yeah, I've always tried. I to went book. to university and I did this, and I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, there's a lot of that, and I, I, and, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's great because I don't, from, I personally don't generally like it that much, but also, uh, I worry as a publisher is because we, we, I think are, I, those books don't really sell very many copies, and they, mm. they alienate readers, and I don't know why we'd want to do that. Right. So your fear is that the. Um, what would we say the literary yeah the kind of the the books that, that in large part over the last few years the books that, that that have been lionized in the literary pages are not books that more than probably about 10,000 people in this country would ever want to read and yet i you know the reason i think the novel is still a is still a vibrant and vivid art form is at the end of the day because it has to not every novel but like because the art form as a whole has to appeal to a mass audience. I actually think that's what's kept it, kept it alive. And so there's always going to be a tension, and you see it playing out. And you know, of course, in, in a way, it's a kind of modernist, nineteenth-century realist tension. And you and the you know, you see it playing out again and again. But um, and I'm not saying there should only be one kind of a novel or anything like that. But but I do feel that we, as a literary culture, you know, publishers are part of that, but also. Um, also prizes you know, prizes to an extent reviews pages etc etc you know i think in the last few years they've been guilty of lionizing a, a, a certain kind of really quite um um uh, quite specific novel that that even if it is really good in its own terms um is not going to be something that's kind of keeps keeps people reading <laughs> mm. well um here's some more Sally Rooney's <laughs> yeah, yeah well yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And thank you for listening. Do join me next week when I've got an absolutely incredible episode for you. My guest will be Alexa von Hirschberg, Editorial Director at Bloomsbury. 
We'll be talking about amazing novels like Patrick DeWitt's French Exit, Melissa Harrison's All Among the Barley, the books of Kate Tempest, and Ben Meyer's new novel, The Offing. Alexa is also the editor behind the absolutely seminal Rennie Edo Lodge's Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter or at whateditorswantpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you.